Jude. Grab your Bibles. One of the most fascinating things about this little epistle is the person God chose to pen it. Uh, Jude, short for Judas, and of course not Judas Iscariot, Jude was one of the four brothers of Jesus, the children that Joseph and Mary had after Christ. And two gospel writers tell us um, about those children. Mark chapter 6 verse 3 gives the names of his uh, brothers as does the gospel of Matthew. Uh, What's incredible is um, none of his brothers believed that he was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, they mocked him. They spoke sarcastically to him about him uh, wanting to be a public figure in the world. What was it that made such a difference in them? Because they all became uh, ministers of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5 tells us that they even traveled sharing the gospel. We know from the book of Acts that James, uh, one of the brothers, became uh, a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, probably senior pastor, a lot of scholars believe, of the church in Jerusalem. And that's fascinating because uh, they didn't believe in Jesus. What made the difference? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, what I received, Paul says, I passed on to you uh, of first importance, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried according to the Scriptures, and that he was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. Folks, that's the gospel. It is the only message that will change somebody's life. It is the only message that will save somebody's soul. It wasn't Jesus' witness in terms of his person that made a difference to his brothers. He was the perfect human being. No, it was his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what made a difference in his brothers' lives. That's the only message that will make a difference in anybody's life in terms of salvation. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. That's why we have to do more than just be nice and, and, and be uh, good in terms of being like Christ. Uh, no, we have to tell people the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they won't be saved any other way. That's the only message that will save their soul. Only one. Jude intended to write about the salvation that we share, but as he picked up his pen, the Holy Spirit changed his mind. And he tells us, verse 3, although I was very eager to write about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Because people had slipped into the church that were not submitted to Christ, They were living immoral lives. They were irreverent. They were selfish. They were grumblers and fault finders because they didn't live by faith. And Jude warns the church about people in the church that don't know Christ, or if they do know Christ, they're not living for Christ. Verse 19 These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Remember, we mentioned last week, I'll say it again, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. They would throw the wheat up in the air. The wind would blow the chaff away. So what that meant, practically speaking, is what Satan wanted to do is separate Peter from 
integral fellowship with genuine, committed believers. And if he can get us away from the true grain, he's got us. One more verse and then Jude. Romans chapter 16. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they they deceive the minds of naive people. Stay away from them. It's very clear. Now back in Jude, verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. 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 This is interesting because while there are some people we need to stay away from, At the same time, there are people we need to reach out to, reach out to with truth. And yet we need to be careful and we need to be wise. Three types of people are mentioned in verses 22 and 23. First, uh, be merciful to those who doubt. These are people who are the most likely to respond when we share truth with them. And that's why we deal with them with great mercy. It's interesting, uh, on the whole, Jesus blasted the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You read Matthew 23, it's a blistering message. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them snakes. He calls them whitewashed tombs. I mean, blistering. Uh, Because they were leading people astray. And yet they were religious. But now while he blasted them as a whole, remember John chapter 3. It's in that personal encounter with a a Pharisee, a a leader named Nicodemus. And Jesus, if you read the encounter, was very merciful. I mean, we get our famous verse, John 3, 16, from that personal encounter with Nicodemus, the woman at the well. I mean, what mercy. Jesus asked her for a drink. She's a Samaritan woman in that culture. Samaritans and Jews didn't have any dealings with one another. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, yet you ask me for a drink. And Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him for a drink and he'd give you living water. She says, "Ah, okay, give me this living water. He says, okay, go call your husband first. I don't have a husband. No, you've had five. And the one you're with is not your husband. And he confronts her with truth. She goes back into the town and says, says to everybody, I met a guy tells me everything I ever did. And the whole town comes out to hear Jesus. And she gets saved and the whole town gets saved, basically. Amazing. Jesus knew 
their heart. And we need to be wise and careful. And there's some, and, and you know, you don't always know. But there's some we treat with special mercy to those who doubt. They're the most susceptible. They're the most likely to respond to, the tr- to truth. Then the second is snatch others from the fire and save them. And this is the picture of the person, and they're right over the precipice of hell. And they could go any minute. I think this would include people who are severe drug addicts, alcoholics. Because that kind of lifestyle, guess what? They're not going to live a full life. We need to get to them as soon as possible. We need to share the gospel with them. These are people that are outright rebels, and it's obvious to everybody they're rebellion. And if they continue on in that, that path, that path, they're probably not going to live long. Snatch them from the fire. Get the message of the gospel to them as soon as possible. All of us have probably family members like that. We need to get the gospel to them as fast as we can. And then the third is very interesting. To others show mercy mixed with fear Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, keep our perspective that the one here, the third type, we're looking to reach out to, we need to make sure we're not tempted by whatever sin they're involved in. Whatever it is, it's the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. You see, I've seen people, unfortunately, more than once in 30 years of ministry, that intend to reach out to someone for the Lord, but instead get pulled down by the very person they're looking to lead to Christ. Listen carefully. That's why I'm not at all, and I think Scripture backs my conviction up, I'm not at all for missionary dating. Oh, he'll come to church with you. He might even claim to be a Christian, but there's nothing about his life that says that. As a matter of fact, if he's going to take you to bed, there's something wrong. Getting awful quiet, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, she'll come to church with you. But what about her life? Really says she knows the Lord. And maybe you know they don't know the Lord. But you're going to lead them to Christ and bring them to church. And then all of a sudden you find out instead of reaching them, they reached you. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. Are you also maybe tempted? Now, since we're so susceptible, all of us, including myself, to being led astray, uh, to drifting away, uh, we need to do the other thing the text says. What is that? Verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. Build yourselves up. Now, uh, I feel a little odd every time I mention this, and I, I'm, not, I'm, just giving, I'm just using this as an illustration, all right? Uh, I try to eat healthy, all right? <clears throat> I also exercise regularly every birthday every single birthday and i've had 57 of them now uh, every single birthday exercising is less enjoying less of an enjoyment for me I, i enjoy it less it takes incredible discipline 
I mean, some days I go to do it, and that's everything within me saying, just go to Bush Gardens and squirt people or something, you know. Don't go do that. Just go have fun. But when I was younger, I actually enjoyed exercising. Now I do it as a discipline because I like health. I like to be fit as much as I can, as much as I can uh, control that. And listen, if I stopped eating healthy and I stopped exercising, guess what? It would affect me physically. I wouldn't be in the kind of shape I'm in if I stopped doing those things. Folks, it's the same spiritually. Now, let me note something before we go on. Verse 24 of Jude, to him who is able to keep you from falling, present you before his glorious presence. Jude opened up, and here's what he said, uh, middle of verse 1, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Let me read one more verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Um, the middle of the verse, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard, or other translations say to keep, what I've entrusted to him on that day. Why do I read those verses? Because we need to understand, there is something about our salvation and parts of our salvation that I have no responsibility over. Uh, first of all, saving myself. I can't save myself. God saved me. can't change myself. God changed me. So there are things about our salvation uh, that God is completely responsible for, all right? And he's going to be faithful with that. Then there are other things about our salvation and our faith uh, that we are responsible for. These are the things that Jude is ending with here. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. That's my responsibility. When I go to work out, I have a plan. I walk. I, I can't really jog these days. I do some fake jogging. It goes about like this, and that's a full sprint. Uh, but I walk, and I have a certain amount of miles I want to do every time I go out. I have a routine when I, I pick up the weights, and I know how many repetitions I'm going to do. And then I'm going to go on to the next thing, and I know what I'm going to do. And, and, I, and I have this exercise routine. And it pays off if you do it regularly, you're more fit. Now, it's the same spiritually. If we don't exercise spiritually, you're never going to get spiritually fit, and you're never going to stay spiritually fit. It's the same thing. And here's the thing about uh, spiritual exercise and spiritual training. Uh, physical training is of some value. Some people misquote this verse and say physical training is of no value. That's not what the Bible says. It's of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Much more important in my life to exercise spiritually than it is physically. Much more important. Now, this next part of spiritual exercise, most of us are going to know. If you've been around church for very long at all where they teach the Bible, you're going to go, oh, I know this one. But here's the deal. You may know it, but are you doing something about it? That's the real question. You know, I can sit around, I can study about exercise, and I can study, and I can tell you everything about, you know, how far you need to walk, or how much exercise you need to do, or how many repetitions this, whatever, and if you do that, and I can talk about that all I want. If I don't do it, it makes no difference. 
To know it doesn't make a difference. To do it, that's what makes a difference. And here's one essential for spiritual exercise. Essential, the Word of God. Now, this is not rocket science. And again, most of us go, oh, yeah, oh, okay, keep going. I know that. Yeah, but are we doing something about it? Jesus said every day has enough evil of its own. Every day. In the prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's the Lord's pattern of prayer. He laid it down for us. Give us this day, this day, our daily bread. Look, I need, I need the word every single day of my life. Every day. And that's my goal in life. Do I read the word every single day? Have I read the word every single day since I became a Christian? No. But that's my goal. Do I walk as many miles every week that I want to do in my physical exercise routine? No. But that's my goal. That's my goal. Listen. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If I really believe that, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting the word, the word, the word, the word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I'm going to build myself up in my most holy faith, got to have the word. Sanctify them, Jesus said, by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify it, set apart and so that you can grow. Set apart unto the Lord to be built up unto him. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That's daily, daily steps and long-term direction. Know where I'm headed. Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Before I was married, I uh, had a couple of roommates and uh, a couple of other friends. We used to meet I think it, the max was, there were six of us at one point, and every, I think it was every Monday night. Anyway, every one, one night a week, we'd meet together, and we'd memorize Scripture. We'd memorize whole chapters in the Psalms and whole chapters of the Bible, like five verses at a time. And you had all week to learn like five verses, and I'd take a three-by-five card around with me. And I'd have the five verses uh, written there. Sometimes I have the whole thing, you know, written out. And throughout the day, throughout the day, take a break and look at it. Look at it and read it. Read it. And then try to say it and read it. And you just keep doing that over and over again. Let me tell you something. It's a whole lot easier to memorize Scripture when you're young. It's a whole lot easier. If you're young, I don't know if I'm young. Well, if you're younger than me, you're, you're doing good. But it's a whole lot easier to memorize Scripture when you're young. I encourage you. Get those three-by-five cards. Find a couple of Christian friends and say, hey, let's meet together and let's memorize Scripture together. Because then, like I say, the more sword you got in your sheath, the more weapon you got in your hand. And as I'm going through the day, these Scriptures that I've read and that I've memorized, they, the Holy Spirit brings them to my mind when I need them. Tremendous tremendous i got things lodged in here that you know that i memorized in the king james version and even though i read them in the niv when i think about them it's king james but that's okay paul said now i commit to you to i commit you to god and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance 
among all those who are sanctified. Let me read you this one. Didn't put it on the PowerPoint. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, before I finish the message, if you'll make a decision right now. If you'll make a decision and follow through on it, it'll revolutionize your Christian life. It will revolutionize your Christian life. If you'll make a decision, if you'll make a decision that I'm going to decide what time and start tomorrow, start today. But I encourage you to make a regular habit of starting in the morning with the word. I need the word before I go into the day. Not after I've been out in the world of evil all day, you know. Every day has enough evil of its own. I need to go into the battle with the word. And that should be the goal, I believe. And I, I could give a lot of scripture uh, to back that up. And Jesus, as an example, he got up often uh, up early in the morning and went away to a solitary place. Get you a Bible reading plan. Is it wrong to just say, okay, Lord, lead me, and you open and say, okay, this is what I'm going to read today? Not necessarily, but if that's the habit, that's probably not a good deal. Because, you know, you want to get a plan, and you want to go through the whole Word of God. Now, as you do that, let me give you this one. Like newborn babes, Peter says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you're a, a brand-new Christian, unless you're just unusual or you're the exception, you're going to read, and there are going to be things you read, and you just go, I got nothing out of that. I don't even know what that means. But you're a baby. We didn't bring any of our kids home and, uh, and, and take them into the kitchen, you know, hold and say, now here's the, here's the pantry, and here's your food, and when you get, you know, hungry, you, no, no. We got to change that kid's diaper. We got to put a bottle in there repeatedly, and we got to feed that child. Young Christians, young Christians, while you should right away start to read the Word on a regular basis, with that said, with that said, you're going to need to be bottle-fed until you can grow. So what you do, not only, not only read the Word on your own, if you receive from particular teachers, if you receive from my teaching, then get recordings of me or podcasts or something like that. And, and in the morning or on your way to work, in the car or whatever, you know, listen to it. Listen to it. Uh, you can get, even get things where people will just read Scripture to you. But if we really want to do it, we can get Scripture into us every single day, every day. And if you'll make a decision to do that and follow through on it, revolutionize your Christian life. I promise you. God promises you. Revolutionize your Christian life. The Word of God. Essential for building myself up in my most holy faith. Now, second, pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Pray in the Holy Spirit. I got some fresh, um, I got some fresh, I think, revelation from the Lord on this. At least for me it was, and I'll just pass it on to you, and, and you can decide. Uh, but what is praying in the Holy Spirit? I think praying in the Holy Spirit first is uh, be, becoming sensitive, and we grow in this, being sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Uh, for example, I asked the meeting last night at church, uh, guy, last night here at church, and I was amazed at how many hands went up. I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but how many of you uh, just out of nowhere, someone has popped into your mind, and you go, why in the world am I thinking about them? How many, that just popped into your mind. You see, look how many hands. You see what that is most likely? That's most likely the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray for that person. 
It's happened to me a number of times over the years, and sometimes I've actually called the person after I prayed for them. And I, and I said, you know, I just don't know what it is. You just popped into my mind, and uh, I just was, I've just been praying for you. And sometimes they live totally, you know, miles, some hundreds of miles away. And so many times, so many times when I get a hold of them, they will say, well, I can't believe that you're praying for me. And then they'll tell you what's going on in their life. And then you know that was the Holy Spirit prompting me, prompting me, putting them on my mind. Then second, I think it's the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me read Romans chapter 8 depending on the help of the Holy Spirit when we pray, because there's sometimes you just don't know what to pray. You just don't know how to pray. Romans chapter 8 is so encouraging. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I have had times where I'm literally crying, and I'm just moaning heavenward. This verse tells me, and I can know by faith, in those times where I don't even know what to say and I'm calling out to God and whatever it is that's got me in that situation, the Holy Spirit is helping. He's interceding. And God takes those groans and the Spirit translates those groans, translates those groans heavenward, and then God, God hears. God hears. Isn't that tremendously encouraging? When we don't know what to pray for, don't know how to pray, and the Holy Spirit intercedes. Praying in the Holy Spirit. This was a fresh word for me. I believe praying in the Holy Spirit is praying with self-control. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 says this, Be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what one of those is? Self-control. Ephesians 6, 18. Listen to what it says. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert. What was it that happened to Peter, James, and John when Jesus invited them there in the garden to pray? And he said, pray that you not fall into temptation. And then he goes off and prays, and he comes back, and uh, repeatedly, when he comes back, what are they doing? They're sleeping. I need to do everything I can when I'm praying to be alert. That's why there's no magic about closing your eyes to pray. Whoever started that, uh, the idea of closing your eyes is to focus out from everything around you and focus in on what you want to pray. But sometimes, you know, you close your eyes and you just start to drift. Open your eyes. Jesus, before he multiplied the bread and the fish, he said he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. He prayed. Be alert. Sometimes I walk and pray. Now, Ephesians 6, 18, another fresh uh, revelation that I believe is included in praying in the Holy Spirit, and it's this, variety. With this in mind, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. There are all kinds of different ways to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 
I urge, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That's four types of prayer. Intercession is when you're praying for someone or for a group. You're interceding on their behalf. Sometimes we pray for something. Uh, sometimes it's thanksgiving. And then the prayers there, that includes anything else. And then, and you know, this next one is so biblical, but some people don't, don't, just don't believe it's biblical. And I, I can't help you there. You have to decide what you're going to believe there. But sometimes pray, or, or excuse me, praying continually. I, let me, I forgot about that one. Praying continually. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17 says pray continually. Uh, great illustration of this one in uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. That's a serious uh, responsibility uh, because if you do anything wrong, uh, he, in that culture, he could have your head. Um, the king asked, verse 2, me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. He's afraid he's going to get in trouble with a sad face he has. Uh, but I said, uh, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lie in ruins? That's Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, what is it you want? And notice what it says. What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. He didn't say, I'll answer you in a minute. Let me go away. And he goes away and he kneels and he prays. No. Just at that moment, that split second, when the king asked, what is it you want? He says, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> I mean, just, just without saying it out loud, king doesn't know he's praying. And then he answered the king. This is praying continually. If you're driving, you can pray. Keep your eyes open. It's a great thing when we grow in prayer and learn that praying in the spirit i can pray anytime i can wake up in the middle of the night and my god does not sleep he does not slumber he will hear me in any situation i don't have to kneel first i don't have to close my eyes i can just cry out to god and nobody else knows i'm doing it and he will hear me what a good god we serve what a good god and then this last one Praying in the Spirit. If God's given you a supernatural gift of tongues, exercise it. Use it. Now, some people don't believe in the gift of tongues today. I used to not believe in the gift of tongues. I believe all the gifts are available today, and I don't see anything in the Word that says otherwise. I haven't experienced all the gifts. I've been wanting this gift for years, and God hasn't given it to me. And I accept that. I've been prayed for by everybody. I, 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 a guy at a, a conference I was at just a few months ago, a men's conference, uh, prayed for me. And he has the gift of tongues. And he began to actually pray over me in tongues. And I've had other people do that. And uh, the motors just never started with me. It never happened. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I believe I'm baptized in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. I believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not an issue with me. God gave my wife the gift of tongues. It's a very good gift. It's a good gift. Let me, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And this whole section is about the confusion and uh, terrible things that were happening in the church of Corinth because it was, they were out of control in terms of expressing gifts. And this is written to bring order. And then verse, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And yet, if God's given us that gift, uh, one of the purposes right there is to edify, to build up. You can pray. If you read that whole chapter, uh, you can sing sometimes and worship the Lord in this gift of tongues. You can pray, and, it, and some people call it a prayer language. Again, my wife has it, and uh, I know some of you are uncomfortable with that, but it is what it is. It is what it is. It's a good gift. It's a good gift. And praying in the Holy Spirit sometimes is exercising this gift. And if you'd like it, ask God for it. And if he wants you to have it, hey, he'll give it to you. He hasn't given it to me. And then third, keep yourself in God's love. Keep yourselves in God's love. Boy, this could be a whole message in itself. How do I do that? John chapter 15. By the way, I'm so excited about this message. This, this is one of the most practical messages I could ever share. I really believe that. And if we'll do it, if we'll do something about it, I'll tell you what, it'll change your life. John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. How different Balaam and his life would have been. The story there in Numbers chapter 22 I referred to last week. When God says to him, when the people from the king of Moab come to hire him to put a curse on Israel, and God says to him, do not go with them. What did he do? He went with them. He went with them. If he'd have just obeyed. Listen, nobody can make you obey but you. Nobody can make me obey but me. The only one responsible for my obedience is me. And it's a choice. God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. He wasn't willing to obey. Proverbs 19.3, a man's own folly ruins his life. Now, let me give you a second one on this one, keeping yourself in God's love. First of all is obedience. Second, church meetings. Oh, this is so practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 again. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 12, so it is with you, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Verse 26, what shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. He's talking about things that happen in a public church meeting that build us up. The song service. Last night and this morning, I was built up. I was built up. Hopefully, as we're hearing the Word of God, it's helping to build us up. 
There are things that happen in church meetings. Hebrews chapter 10 encourages. Don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But do so even more as you see the day approaching. One of the first ways people get pulled away is to stop the meeting, the regular meeting. And then Christian relationships. Go back to John. Listen, this is fascinating. John chapter 15, I just read where Jesus said, Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in my love. Then you don't want to miss verse 12. Listen to it. My command is this. Here's his command. Love each other as I've loved you. He says it again, verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. What that means, practically speaking, don't miss it. First John uh, says, let us not love uh, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And it says, if we see our brother or sister in need, uh, we reach out to help them. That means you're in such relationship in the church that you know somebody's need. Now, you won't know everybody's, but you're involved somehow. Small groups, ministry together. And you know one another so well that you know what need they have. And you're able to reach out in love if God's provided for you to be able to do that. So practical. Once we become relational in the church, please don't be surprised when you find out that your brothers and sisters are just as imperfect as you are. Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. You know one of my first disappointments, getting involved with the church right after I became a Christian? A Sunday school teacher rebuked me. I didn't receive it initially. I didn't receive it. I, I thought it was a little too much. I won't tell you what I did, but I just thought, what's, you know, what's the big deal? And then the Holy Spirit so convicted me, I later went back to that Sunday school teacher and I apologized and I thanked them for loving me enough to rebuke me. You see, if we're tied in together in such a way that we can not only reach out to one another when we have need, but we're so tied in together that when we see a brother or sister, and they need that rebuke, and we love them enough, we love them enough to do it. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's what the Lord says. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. People that always just want to say nice things because they don't want to ruffle anything in the relationship, they don't really love us. People that really love us, if we need a confrontation, they will confront us. That's real love. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. And then there's one more. Keep yourselves in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. This one's pretty easy to understand. Keep your head in the clouds. 
told you before, I'll say it again. Anybody ever says to me, your head's in the clouds, I say thank you. Come on, everybody, read this with me. Come on, you ready? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that tremendous? I think about heaven every day, every day, every day. But I've been thinking about it this week more than normal. Because I told you last week our family dog died. I, I'm still, I, I'm still, I still can't believe how much I miss that dog. A dog. And I keep thinking, I just, I just, it just keeps coming into my mind. It keeps Revelation 21. Revelation 21. There's coming a day there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And then the Holy Spirit says to John, write these words down because they are trustworthy and true. You imagine, we're going to live in a world one day. I'm going to live in a world, there'll be no more death. I've been thinking about that more than ever before this week. No death. No mourning. No crying. No pain. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I really pray we don't just hear these words in the closing of this wonderful little epistle, little epistle of Jude. To him who was able to keep you from falling. That's his part. But if I don't do my part, he can't do his part. If I'll stay away from ungodly influences, if I'll keep up the spiritual disciplines, spiritual exercises, if I'll stay in fellowship with committed, genuine committed believers, fellowship where we really are tight, and if I'll keep my head in the clouds, one day I'll stand before him. And you will too. And he'll say, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. I can't wait to hear those words. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. We ought to say that together. Come on, come on, like you mean it. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. Let's sing this to him. Praise the Lord. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even though I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near. And I will fear no evil. For my God is with me, and if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh, no, never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh, no, never let go every high and every low. Never let go, Lord. You never let go of me. And I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. And there will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. Sing that again. I can see the light. And I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. Oh, no, never let go through the common through the storm oh no you never let go every high and every low oh no you never let go lord you never let go of me oh no you never let go through the calm through the storm oh no you never let go every high every low Never let go of me. Never let go of me. Prayer team's making their way forward. They'll be here to pray with you, whatever your needs are. Please take advantage of their ministry. And don't let this word go in here and go out here. There's something we need to do. Let's do it. And then keep on with those spiritual exercises and get plugged in. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.